Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. I, I think there's a, a few people in the room that don't know me. My name is Lisa Lambert. I have been the um, administrative assistant for SACPA for four years. Um, I now have a sidekick, uh, Annalise Van Oors, um, so that I can actually write my dissertation. I'm actually going to not come to SACPA for a little while in, in the near future and sit and write my dissertation and try to get to the point where Paul is. So, um, so I, welcome you, uh, I welcome you back, and I want to uh, just remind you of two upcoming SACPA events um, one of them is on Monday night at the University of Lethbridge. Uh, Dr. Katie Gibbs, uh, a scientist, communicator, and organizer, um, is speaking on no science, no evidence, no truth, no democracy. Um, Dr. Gibbs was, uh, in the summer of 2012, one of the lead organizers of the Death of, the, of Evidence rallies um, that took place, uh, one of the largest science demonstrations in Canadian history. So she'll be speaking 7 o'clock Monday night at the university. Um, in PE 261. Um, and next week, I hope to see you all back uh, for a wonderful speech uh, by, at our regular session with, from Dr. Nicole Rosen. Uh, Nicole and I have uh, various arguments about how uppity I am about my language, um, and apparently I'm very uppity. So uh, she is a linguist, and uh, I like to have things grammatically correct, and that makes me terrible in her mind. So her, the title of her uh, speech is, The Kids May Not Be Speaking Your Language, But They're Still All Right. Um, so she and I will have words after that. Uh, and uh, now I'd like to uh, welcome back uh, Paul Ferry and invite you to uh, go to the questioner's mic if you'd like to ha ask any questions. If you don't have any questions, I'll just be singing for the rest of the half hour. So, <laughs> go with the questions. Hi, Paul. Hi. Is this microphone working? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm Rena Wass, and thank you for your presentation. Um, I was one of the candidates that did run in this last election, and so your your presentation was very relevant. Uh, one of the things I found that was very difficult was um, getting my information out there so people knew what my platform was. So when I look at award system, it looks like that would be the way to go. But the problem is I don't want to see our city fragmented. It's like building a house. You can't just address like part of a house. You have to look at the whole structure and then the maintenance of the structure. And what you showed us, um, what's going on in Vancouver, east versus west, how the west is more favored than the east. Well, that's not good for a city. Um, what I would like to see and hear from you is how can we engage voters? Uh, the, this last election, under 30% came out to vote. I mean, politics affects every aspect of our life. It's enormously important, but there is voter apathy. So a war system might address it, but then look at the flip side of it. So could you maybe, I know you didn't touch on this, but how can we engage voters? How can candidates get their message out? Mm -hmm. Thank you. No, thanks, thanks for the question. Um, 
there's a couple of things I can say about about voter turnout. So voter turnout, as you might know, it's kind of like a little bit of a pyramid. At the top of the pyramid is uh, what's well, pyramid is a bad example. A ladder, let's say. Um, you have federal turnout, which is always higher than provincial turnout, which is always higher than municipal turnout. So some of it is to do with sort of how interested people are. So there's a couple of things you can do um, to engage voters. I mean, to, to, to link it to the ward system, there hasn't actually been too much research about whether at-large or ward systems have higher turnout, but we do know that um, the more decisions that voters have to make, the less likely they are to turn out. So when it's a more complicated electoral system, they'll find it confusing. When there are more candidates, they actually... Um, turn out less often. So it might not be just ward or at large. If you had eight candidates, it would be just the same as having eight candidates in a ward. But certainly if it's 29 candidates, if it's the example I had uh, from Edmonton of 57 candidates, maybe doing something like a ward system uh, might help a little bit in sort of reducing how complicated an electoral decision is. Other than that, to be honest, the best way of driving up voter turnout, at least locally, is to have a really interesting... um, and competitive mayor's race. If you do a little sort of a, a scatter plot of, uh, I know, um, <laughs> of voter turnout and how competitive an election is, it's a really strong relationship. So the more competitive uh, an election is, the higher the turnout. I mean, the best example is uh, Calgary. So 2004, 7, and 10. 2004, it was the incumbent mayor versus a man who believes there is secret money buried underneath City Hall. Uh, not competitive, 19% turnout. 2007, the, the incumbent, same incumbent mayor versus someone who spent a million dollars for some reason on his campaign. He didn't come close to the million-dollar guy. But turnout was driven up 33%. 2010, now you had Nenshi, the mayor right now, and Barb Higgins and um, Rick McIver, who's now the transportation minister, all competing. Now you have turnout be 53%. So in some ways, there aren't too many special things that you can do. You can just make the election kind of more competitive and more interesting. How you guarantee that is, is a little bit more difficult. Um, some of the things you could do to, to link it back would be, I mean, campaign finance reform. If you made it possible for more candidates to be more well-funded, so rather than one or two people relying on huge donations from developers, if you had maybe three or maybe four good candidates running for mayor who c- could draw on a wider um, array of support and, and, and money, you might end up driving out voter turnout. I mean, the one thing I'll say about campaigns, though, is if you're running a councillor campaign, I think it does end up being easier in a, in a ward system because there are fewer people you have to contact. The geographic area is smaller. You don't have to run uh, a citywide campaign. You can focus a little bit more. So, I mean, that might be it. But beyond that, it's a, it's a, for municipal politics specifically, it's a bit harder to say anything other than make sure there's always two or three good mayoral candidates. Hi, thank Hi. you very much for your talk. Oh, I'm, I'm Bev Mindel-Atherstone. <laughs> we had 29 people running for council, and we had 29% of the vote. Mm-hmm. So we had 1% per vote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 1% per candidate. Um, if you had 55, then, I mean... <laughs> 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 well, 55 if we had... Ni- yeah. They <laughs> uh, uh, had Nenshi running yeah. here. <laughs> okay, so... We have a great disparity in the city between the north side and the rest of Lethbridge, mm-hmm. and it only seems to be exacerbated as the west side has grown to be larger, so the west side has taken on characteristics of the south side. Mm-hmm. And one good example is that the <coughs> senior center on the north side is is tremendously underfunded compared to the senior center on the south side. Okay. So um, 
So uh, what I'm wondering is why do we have to have either a ward system or uh, at large? Why couldn't we have a combination with four councillors? Mm. We could have four councillors from the ward system representing the north, the west, the south, and and maybe it would be two in the south just by proportion. Yeah. And then um, and then four at large because I really see that our uh, as one of the points you made that the homogeneity of council. We have a very homogeneous uh, council, mm -hmm. and we only have one woman on council right, right mm -hmm. now, So, and one from the north side. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, is that a possibility to have mixed ward and at large? No, for sure. This is actually something I was, I was talking about just over lunch. Um, a, a good example of this is uh, Thunder Bay. So they have uh, 13 people on council, one, uh, one mayor and 12 councillors. And the way it works there is they have the mayor obviously elected citywide. They have five councillors elected at large, just like here. And then they have, uh, how many does that leave? Seven. Um, they have seven wards as well. So what that means is if there's a big citywide issue, then that benefits the whole city. Then the mayor plus the five at-large councillors in Thunder Bay can team up with one, at least one other um, ward councillor to pass something through. If there was... On, on the flip side, something that was really bad for one side of town rather than the other, you could maybe have four or five of the ward councillors opposed to it, and then if you could get one or two more um, of the at-large councillors or the mayor to do it, um, that would be sort of, it's, it's a nice balance. I actually think it's a good approach, especially for somewhere like Lethbridge or, or Vancouver, if they were transitioning from having a long, long-standing um, at-large system, if you transition to sort of a half System, I think Thunder Bay is actually a really good example of how you can balance having um, not quite a majority of councillors elected um, in an at-large kind of way, and then the, the other half uh, elected at wards. So then you have some some guarantee, say in Lethbridge, that there'd be council, more, uh, another councillor or two from the north, plus four or five councillors elected from wherever, and then you're less concerned about the disparity because maybe sometimes they'll be elected from the south, sometimes from the north. But if you could guarantee sort of uh, a councillor from each of the areas, it might end up being a little bit more fair, kind of addressing uh, both sides where you have candidates who are sort of city, uh, looking at the big, the big picture for the city, and also some candidates who are looking out more for some of the different communities here in Lethbridge or, or elsewhere. That was <coughs> Hello. Thanks for coming today. Oh, my um, this was why I got up as well, because you made the ward system seem like an either or, and yeah. in actual fact, there is your, like your every name, color please? of the... Your name? Darlene McLean. Okay. There's every color of the rainbow, and um, so I'm glad that somebody touched on that, and maybe on your, your system there, if she could have given a couple of examples of mm -hmm. the different styles of wards that might fit, and also um, the arguments <coughs> that you had against the ward system are many of those already exist currently. Mm -hmm. Uh, like, for instance, you'll go to um, uh, a recreation uh, study thing at a presentation at City Hall, and they'll have all these questions that you want to answer. They want answered for their nice, tidy little survey. And the people in the audience will keep coming back to, well, who decided it was going to be in this part of town? When did this happen? 
And that sort of thing happens here all the time already. And the, the organizers just try and ignore that, and of course it never gets put into their survey at all. That, mm. But during the course of the two-hour discussion <coughs> that was brought up, people kept from the audience would keep bringing it up, bringing it up, and they would keep ignoring it, ignoring it. Mm. And uh, so that, that's, that's one of those things no, for sure, that no. already exists. Because you get one-show pony uh, counselors getting in, and you get special interest with such a low voter, voter turnout, you get a lot of special interest groups have an in proportionate, a disproportionate amount of uh, say because they're more organized. You know, mm. I'm not saying it's good or bad or whatever. It, 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 it just exists, whether it's a union or a developers or whoever. Mm -hmm. um, but I just wanted to ask you, um, has anybody, the, when you look at um, who's donated to, to, to who, um, sometimes you come across on the lists numbered companies. Yeah. Now, um, why is that allowed, or why is the onus on the voter to do the research to find out who's behind these numbered companies? Mm -hmm. And also, too, there's no policing <coughs> of this whatsoever. You know, it's totally on my honor whether or not I got 500 from this person or 5,000 from this person. Mm -hmm. um, why don't, doesn't this person have to say, give me a check in City Hall on record and it's on record that I got this 5,000 and then they could go through my campaign expenses and they could say, okay, well, these uh, okay. balance. Uh, we'll let him answer. Yeah, <laughs> sure. That's a lot. Um, yeah, about, about um, uh, let me just remember, uh, campaign finance Laws, I mean, certainly Alberta has very few regulations, uh, particularly at the municipal level. If you, I mean, if you want to blame anybody about what it's like, it's actually not the, province, uh, the problem of uh, City Hall. All of these regulations are set uh, by the province under the Municipal Government Act and the, the other act whose name I don't remember that deals with uh, elections, the Local Elections Authorities Act. Yeah. Um, so you can, you can blame the province uh, certainly for that. Um, <laughs> But uh, number, what can be numbered companies? Oh yeah, oh, numbered companies as well. Yeah, no, I've done uh, some research about uh, about campaign finance in cities, and, and you're right, it's a it's a horrible pain. I mean, the the, the things that you could do about it, uh, which they do in other jurisdictions, is either a ban corporate donations. I mean, that's uh, that would that would definitely rule that out. Or b, um, you have to specify who's also giving the money. I mean, it is technically possible to figure out who owns a numbered company, but it is quite a bit of a hassle. You have to go through the um, some of the Alberta statute books and so on. It's uh, it's irritating. Um, but but I mean I mean you're right in terms of, of transparency. I think Alberta does quite a, a bad job. One of the things that they're thinking that people are talking about in Calgary and that some candidates have been doing is actually releasing their donors list sort of at various points throughout the campaign. So it's, it's the last two elections has been a sort of traditional for candidates on nomination day, which is about four weeks before election, to release how many, like, who's donated to them so far, and also maybe update it two or three weeks later, uh, just before the election. Because the, the rules actually right now only say that you have to reveal it, I think it's six months after the vote, and by then nobody really cares, and they actually release them in these horrible documents that you can't really search through, so you have to flip through each of the pages. I mean, sure, we had to do this a while ago before, but now it's, it's, it's just too much data to look at in a in any organized way. But, I mean, you're, you're totally right about uh, sort of transparency being a big problem with campaign finance. Go ahead. Helen McManaman. Hi, Helen. Um, one of the things I noticed in, in your ward system, mm -hmm. and you're, you're locating all the mayor, all the, the councillors, mm -hmm. sure, they all live in other, other part, different parts of this town, but they all come 
from quite affluent areas. Mm -hmm. And is there anything we can do about that? And I've got another question. Could we move this up to larger scale politics? What, what, what as, do you mean about the second? Provi provincial or, or federal, mm -hmm. um, the ward, the, the constituency, gerrymandered constituency yeah. in <laughs> okay. some cases. Yeah. Okay. Um, get away from those? Yeah, first about the affluent areas. Certainly this is one thing that we know about at-large systems is you don't even have to really know what a city is like. All you have to do is look at where the councillors are elected if it's an at-large system and you know where the money is. I mean, it's, it, I don't want to be too cynical uh, this early in the day, but I mean... <laughs> It, it's roughly true. I mean, you can get a really good picture just by looking at uh, who's elected just to see uh, where the money is. And in terms of gerrymandered constituencies, it definitely exists uh, in Alberta. I mean, they have these neutral bodies and so on, but ultimately, uh, once the panel reports back to, to the provincial government or the federal government, the government does get to make changes to the, the constituencies. And I mean, some signs to look for if you're, if you're looking for this sort of thing is if you see downtown is split up into sort of a pie shape, it's often an attempt to uh, get rid of there being any sort of urban uh, councillor elected. I mean, in Regina and Saskatoon, it's not so much a problem the last time they did it, but before you could see this exactly where they would divide up the downtown ward to make sure that at, uh, when, the, when the conservatives were in power, they would divide it up to make sure the NDP wouldn't be elected downtown. And the opposite would actually occur as well when the NDP provincially had some more power and sway with these con uh, constituencies. You would see a downtown uh, riding magically appear, and then there would be some more suburban ridings where, where that would happen. So, I mean, you, you definitely see it. I mean, it's not as um, <coughs> as egregious or as terrible as, as the example of Eldridge Jerry back in the 19th century, because people are a little bit more sophisticated and a little bit more tricky about it. But, um, I mean, it definitely still exists. Uh, Vatanas, uh, thank you for your detailed presentation. Oh, happy, happy to I don't live in Lethbridge, I live in the county of Lethbridge, okay. where we have zero voter turnout, and all the county councillors from the previous council were sworn in a week before the election because there was no other one. <laughs> it makes it very difficult when you have enough friends to unseat a sitting councillor mm -hmm. because you can't find nobody to do it. Yeah. And I tried to find people, and I tried to find people for Picture Butte, and we got an election in Picture Butte, but, you know, that's the danger, I think, what you have with the ward system. Mm -hmm. They get entrenched too much, and it's hard to get them out. You mm -hmm. want to have some comments on that? That's fine. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, it's definitely true. I mean, there, there are, um, as much as, not that my endorsement is, is too exciting, as much as I, I would move towards some sort of ward system in Lethbridge, maybe the partial ward system that we were talking about uh, earlier, either way, but definitely in places that have uh, smaller populations uh, at large systems make a lot more sense just because of, of issues of issues like like that where you can maybe maybe convince eight people to run for six positions but it's harder to convince two or three people to run in each of the wards so for smaller uh, population areas definitely at large systems work work well but for for more urban areas like Lethbridge I mean ward systems do have some advantages that I think are hard to hard to get over Terry Shillington, uh, thank you, Paul, for a most stimulating presentation. Thanks. Yeah. I have a note to the moderator and then two short questions. Sure. Note to the moderator. Uh, it was great, the uh, two meetings that you announced, but I thought you could have also mentioned that the Grey Cup game is Sunday <laughs> four. Um, Sorry, who's, who's, who's in that again? Yeah. So there's uh, not some, some They're group? both east of here. Both east <laughs> of here. I'm, I'm just going to point out before you ask your question, I'm originally from Hamilton, so I'm not really appreciating <laughs> it. Yeah. So. yeah, we don't want this conversation. So you probably noticed that it was an omission too then. 
the questions. Um, uh, you uh, put before us a slide that indicated the different giving patterns between Calgary and uh, Toronto. Mm -hmm. uh, I was left with the question, the, the, the percentages totaled up to about 50%. Yeah. I was left with the question about where the other 50% came from. Sure, Is yeah. that from the candidate or? Um, so it was, it was, there was self-funding, there was unions, um, and there was one other group as well. So this was just looking at uh, people or corporations associated with development and then individuals okay. not associated with anything. Okay, other, yeah. other kinds of donors. Yeah. Uh, secondly, um, I, came, I came opposed to a ward system and will go away probably favoring one, uh, mm -hmm. but so uh, you're very convincing. <laughs> but in terms of making the change... Um, uh, should Lethbridge uh, arrive at a consensus that a change would be good, mm. would that be accomplished by provincial legislation after a, uh, a municipal uh, referendum, or what, what would be the process for making any changes? I, I think for, um, I mean, as much as provinces actually have a lot of the power over cities, one of the things that cities can do is decide on their own at-large versus ward system. So the city council could just arbitrarily decide as they wish, or they could have, I mean, it's pretty common to have a referendum. I mean, they do this in British Columbia, but I don't think it's actually mandated. So, I mean, if I had to predict what would happen, is there, there would be a referendum because it's been an at-large system for so long. But the, the city council is sort of free to do as they wish on that regard. Yeah. Knut Peterson is the name. Uh, thanks for coming down, Paul. We had a potential candidate in Lethbridge who went to <laughs> Facebook and was looking for 3,000 supporters before he would declare his candidacy. Yeah, I heard about this, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is there any value in, in upping the, the amount of people that you have to endorse before you can even run? Here we have 29 candidates in Lethbridge, and I would argue if everybody had to get uh, even 100 signatures, they would not be running. So that's m one yeah. question. And the other question, I can't remember right now, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can chat, and then you can chat uh, if, you, if you want. Um, oh, yeah, I, I, I remember right now. Okay. Uh, is there any value to designating certain areas to counselors in, a, in the open system so they have to kind of look after that area? Is that a possibility or is it being done anywhere? Sure. Uh, so I'll do, the, I'll do them in order. So the signatures, I, b I believe right now it's five in Lethbridge, which seems a little, a little bit small, to be honest. I mean, I, I, anyone really has could get five people to sign it. So, I mean, if, if there was a half step that you wanted to make to maybe at least for a little while reduce the number of candidates if you think that 29 is too many, certainly moving it from five to 100 I don't think is too onerous or burdensome. Because certainly if you can't, in the, I think you've got eight or nine months where you can take out the forms. If you can't get 100 people in eight or nine months to, to sign a piece of paper, that doesn't even mean that they're voting for you. I mean, I mean, good luck, I guess, in the election, <laughs> but it's not really, it's not going to go too well, is, 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 my, is my guess there. In terms of designating area, uh, areas to councillors, I haven't heard about it in cities, but certainly um, in the Senate, uh, senators actually sort of get to self-designate an area of the province that they want to represent. Some of them designate the whole province because, I don't know, they're just being um, silly about it. But some people say, I'm, I'm a senator who's representing Toronto, so you know if you're from Toronto, you can call up this senator to do that. So, I mean, it, it could work. It would, it would maybe address some of the concerns 
um, of having an at-large system with regards to representing different areas. One of the problems, though, would be if, if you had the councillors that we have now and just looking at where they live, how well could the, the five councillors who live, I mean, would they all just be representing something south of 24th Avenue? Probably not, but, I mean, if Lethbridge has such a regional disparity in terms of maybe the three or two or three areas that, that I hear about, it, it, you still might run into trouble of not being not really understanding the issues unless you live there or are particularly familiar with the area. So, I mean, it would be a half a half step, I think. But Paul, I think it would go can I ask way. you a question? Um, in Calgary, are the ward councillors required to live in the ward they're running in, or can they run in any ward? Yeah, you, you don't actually have to live in the ward. You just have to, what is it? You have to live in the province of Alberta is the only rule uh, to run municipally. Uh, however, so you don't even need to be a resident of the city? I think you have to, to, to be able to vote, you do. Uh, but there, there, there are some people who have just moved the city. I mean, you only have to move like one day before, right. but to sign up. Um, but uh, whenever someone runs in a ward that they don't live in, unless they live across the road, which happens occasionally, maybe your, your ward gets moved. Um, if someone lives in a very different part, it's, it's a source of criticism, and usually it ends up these people don't win. I think of the 14 councillors in Calgary, 13 of them live in the ward that they represent, and one used to live in the ward that she represents, but then the ward was changed and she didn't move. Uh, but people are less worried about that because, A, she lives close, and, B, um, she used to live in the ward, so it wasn't like she was trying to, right. to do okay. that sort of thing. <laughs> Excuse me. Gesundheit. <laughs> <laughs> my, my name is Henning Mundel. Hi, Henning. <clears throat> I was quite astounded to hear that Vancouver ha- is, had an open system. Yeah. I know Calgary has a ward system. I somehow always assumed, naively, not having looked at city politics that well, that l- the larger the city, then the more likelihood, the greater likelihood there, hood, there is of having a ward system. Mm-hmm. But while you've at various times during your talk and during the question period commented that this might work pretty well and this might pr- work pretty well, I wonder, are you aware of any study with well-defined criteria for evaluating perhaps cities of approximately 100,000 plus or minus one system versus the others for effectiveness of operating the systems. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't... I mean, the first comment, uh, you're absolutely right. The size of cities is definitely related in a, in a general way to whether or not they have a ward versus at-large system, but it's not a perfect relationship. I mean, it's a society which has never really worked out uh, perfectly well as, as, as they do in science. But... Um, what was the second question? Do you remember? Oh, yes, yeah, I, I haven't seen anything um, in Canada because one of the, the problems with this kind of study would be, I mean, it's easy enough to figure out whether they have an at-large or award system, you just look it up. Um, but in terms of outcomes, so I know I've seen some studies, okay, so there's, there's one in the U.S. that I've read um, about the provision of, I don't know what you want to call them, like infrastructure spending, let's say, so fire halls, road spending, and so on. In a ward system, it's sort of more distributed around the city because you have uh, different wards kind of competing with one another. And then the way to sort of get over the fighting is to make sure everyone gets a little bit in their ward. I mean, it doesn't mean that you have excess libraries or police stations where no one is using. I mean, you you end up balancing it out. Whereas in at-large systems, they tend to cluster a little bit more. So you have some areas that have more stuff than other areas, even given... Uh, how much population. So if the outcome is sort of that you want to measure is um, the fairness of the distribution of infrastructure spending, 
this one study that I have read does say that in a ward system, it's sort of more geographically spread out, but in an at-large system, you tend to get sort of disparity and unevenness and, and so on. And our last question will go to Mary. Mary Shillington, uh, thanks, Paul, not only for your information, but also for your sense of humor. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, the reality is that if you're from a middle or upper middle class uh, income, uh, you probably have a little bit more independence about how much time you can spend on campaigning, mm -hmm. and you also have more money at your discretion. Uh, I know for, from both council candidates this year and school board candidates that not having enough money to really do, and time, not, uh, not having enough time or money to do the campaigning uh, was a big issue mm -hmm. for, for some of them. Uh, and so I'm wondering if you have any ideas about that, of how we could make the system more democratic so that people who have gifts to give but don't necessarily have a lot of uh, uh, independent time and, and money could, mm -hmm. could get involved. No, I mean, I mean you're definitely right about um, the people who run for office aren't sort of representative of everybody in general. There's definitely some advantages and some um, resources that you can have which free up either your time or money that you can spend on the campaign. Um, so there, there are two solutions that people have, have brought up and even enacted. One is to, the easier one is definitely to just put a cap on spending to make sure that it's high enough that you can run an effective campaign but low enough that maybe not absolutely everybody but certainly more people can access the kinds of money uh, that is possible. So, I mean, that's sort of the easier solution. The more difficult one, which I don't think would work at a local level because, um, because there aren't political parties and organizations like that, which I don't think we should have locally anyways, um, is you could provide, you know, so, so the public funding of campaigns, they sort of do this in the U.S. They're phasing it out uh, nationally in Canada. I mean, that's a trickier proposition because you, you can't really determine how much funding candidates would get. So I wouldn't really recommend that one uh, locally, but definitely uh, a spending cap that was set, again, uh, at a level that would be uh, high enough to run an okay campaign, but low enough that you could, uh, um, that more people could access that kind of money, I think would, would address at least some of the concerns of sort of equality of access to, uh, to elected office. Okay, well, thank you very much, everyone. Thank you especially to uh, Dr. Ferry to, for coming. Um, I will I will note while we're still on the record that um, the uh, mayor and council were all invited to today. I unfortunately scheduled this uh, in the middle of the AUMA conference in Calgary where they are all attending. So none of them were able to attend, but they were all invited. So thank you very much for your attendance and uh, for all of yours. We'll see you next week. Thanks.